The Virginia General Assembly met this week in a historic and unusual setting as the state of emergency continues into its seventh week. The House is now in session. All persons not entitled to the privilege of the floor, please retire from this chamber. In what may be a first for this show, this is an installment entirely without Virginia Governor Ralph Northam, though there are quite a few angry car horns honked in his direction. The Virginia Senate met, too, and tried not to use paper. And these guidelines were developed with the help of the Department of Health. This is the Charlottesville Quarantine Report for April 24th. I'm Sean Tubbs, and thank you for joining us today. Also on this program, elected officials in Charlottesville and Albemarle both get updates on how the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting their bottom line. And three food-related organizations have joined forces to create Cultivate Charlottesville. We believe that growing gardens, sharing food and power, and advocating for just food systems creates a healthy community for all. On today's program, we will take a listen to a lot of sound from government officials. This one is less about community health and more about how things have changed in the past six weeks. We'll be back tomorrow with the latest from Governor Ralph Northam. But let's get caught up first with some information. The Virginia Department of Health is reporting 596 new cases of COVID-19 today for a cumulative total of 11,594. The VDH appears to have ramped up testing capacity this week with 3,740 new test results reported yesterday and another 4,497 today. Earlier this week, Governor Northam appointed a task force to increase capacity. There are now 410 reported COVID-19 deaths in Virginia. Contrary to one news report, the restaurant Rapture has not closed its doors permanently. The owners were one of the first to announce they would shut down to limit the number of places where people can congregate in small spaces. Owner Mike Rohde released a statement that said they were using the time to make repairs on the inside. Rapture opened in 1998 and is one of the one places I'm looking most forward to being back open, so I can have a place to see my friends again. And finally, the COVID-19 pandemic has not stopped the group Building Goodness from continuing to help individuals and organizations with necessary structural repairs. Here's their communications manager, Jody Saunders. With the generous support of the students at UVA's Darden School, our partners at Martin Horn provided much-needed repairs to the house of a 90-year-old woman in Esmont while she was in a rehab facility recovering from a fall. Working exclusively outside, a small crew of three put on new railings on the front and back porches, patched a leaky roof, replaced rotted window trim with PVC, and painted her porch and ramp with slip-resistant paint. Saunders said that Building Goodness is also working on repairs to the Orange Senior Center while it is closed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. For precaution, crews are smaller than usual and workers keep their distance. Visit the show notes for a video about their work. The Virginia House of Delegates met Wednesday under a wedding tent set up at the Virginia State Capitol. The music that played before the live stream sounded an upbeat tone as delegates filed in. I believe the lyrics here are appropriate. The House of Delegates and the Senate met outside to meet social distancing guidelines. When the microphones went live, the main sound that could be heard were car horns. Well, it's, it's noon. Okay. <laughs> the proceedings began like you would imagine any other session, even with the protest going on. 
the loud noises tended to disrupt, went mostly unacknowledged. The House will come to order. Members, please take their seats. The members will answer the roll call on the electronic voting machine. The House got off to a slow start because there were errors with the voting system that had been installed, with the results displayed on a video board just outside the tent. Eventually, they figured out the problem. The problem seems to be that people have unplugged things, so please don't. In order to open business, the House went ahead with a roll call voice vote. From A. Adams of Richmond City. Here. Adams of Pennsylvania. To Z. Here. Wyatt. Here. Well, W. Adam Speaker. Here. One of the first acts of business was a recognition of those who have died from COVID-19. The thing is, though, it's harder to be heard by a microphone if you're wearing a mask. Thank you, Madam Clerk. The delegate from Alexandria, Delegate Herring. Can you hear me? Thank you, Matt. Can you hear me now? <laughs> you may need to take your mask off. Yeah. All right. I had to take the mask off. <laughs> Thank you, Madam Speaker. I rise for a motion. Delegate Herring, you have the floor. Thank you, Madam Speaker. I move that when the House adjourned today, it do so in the honor and memory of those Virginians we have lost due to the COVID-19 pandemic. All those in favor of Delegate Herring's motion to adjourn in honor and memory of the victims of COVID-19 shall please rise. The motion is agreed to. House Speaker Eileen Filler-Korn acknowledged the long history of the Virginia House of Delegates, which faced a similar issue around the time of its 300th anniversary. We are gathering today in this improvised setting amidst a national emergency. As we continue the four-century tradition of legislating by this body, I am mindful of other times of crisis under which this body convened. 100 years ago, the 110th General Assembly met in the shadow of the Spanish flu, a pandemic with worldwide consequences, including here in the Commonwealth and actually in this very city. 22 years later, the General Assembly met again in January 1942 in the aftermath of Pearl Harbor and with the Axis power seemingly unstoppable all across the globe. None of these events interfered with our predecessors' work to deliver representative democracy as they understood it in the context of the times in which they lived. Nor will the pandemic of today thwart our work to do the people's business. The uncertain outlook that we now face is not what any of us in either party would have wanted or ever even contemplated when we adjourned in March. But just as our predecessors before us, we must carry on and complete the business we are here to do for our fellow Virginians. Meanwhile, the car horns were not as audible over at the Virginia Science Museum, where the Senate was meeting indoors in a large open space. Some of the members were behind plastic shielding as extra precaution from coming into contact with the droplets that transmit the coronavirus. It's a shame that this is audio, because the video began with a close-up of the gavel being struck. Senate will come to order. The senators will please take their seats. Those persons not entitled to the privilege of the floor will please retire to the gallery. That's Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax presiding over the Senate, 
which more or less got right to work, and it seemed to be more or less business as usual. They began to go through the process of going through amendments made by Governor Northam to bills. There were a few differences, of course. To maintain social distancing, we will not have printers available at the desk. We will not be printing votes to hand out to senators. You may access votes through your chamber calendar system. Hit refresh after a vote is taken, and a link will pop up next to the bill number and bill information. Click on the link to view the vote. If you have any problems, IT staff is scattered around the chamber. And these guidelines were developed with the help of the Department of Health. They strongly encourage as little passage of paper between people as possible. For more on what happened in the House and Senate, check out the work of journalists and reporters across the Commonwealth. I've got a Twitter list that you might find useful. You can find it in the show notes. There was a lot that happened and too much to fit in here, and we've got to get on to local government. You're listening to the Charlottesville Quarantine Report for April 24th, 2020. If you're enjoying the show, please send it along to friends, family, and coworkers. I'm hoping this show is giving you a sense of what's been going on so far and what's yet to come. I also am looking for your stories. If you have one to tell, please send me an email to wordcast at gmail.com or record something on your phone and share it. Record a brief something and share it to wordcast at gmail.com. Both Albemarle and Charlottesville are having to reduce their budgets drastically in the wake of sharp revenue reductions. Meals tax and lodging taxes are down, as you can imagine. Let's first take a look at Charlottesville, where City Manager Teron Richardson gave an update to Council this Monday. Although we are going through this, I would say, trying time, uh, I think that we'll be able to uh, continue uh, to maintain our public services as well as our personnel as well as continue to do the, one of the things that we've been able to do in the uh, community. Uh, but, you know, there will be some struggles. The adopted budget for fiscal year 20 was $188 million. That's the current fiscal year. But that will have to be revised to $185 million to capture the anticipated $3 million in revenue loss. Dr. Richardson's original budget for fiscal year 21 was $196 million but that has been revised to $191 million. He stressed that those numbers could change in either direction, depending on how the economy performs. For now, the goal is to not dip into the city's reserve funds to weather the storm. Most infrastructure projects in Charlottesville and other Virginia localities are funded through something called the Capital Improvement Program. Dr. Richardson is recommending not transferring $7 million in city taxpayer funds into the account in this revised budget for the next fiscal year. However, Charlottesville's budget staff will recommend that some projects go forward that would be paid for through the sale of municipal bonds. Here is Chrissy Hamill of the city's budget office. We have a lot of big projects in the CIP that are funded um, by federal and state dollars. And it's unclear at this point in terms of um, what the state budget will look like um, or if any of those dollars will be impacted. So we are working now um, both 
you know, regionally with other localities to figure out what they're doing and also trying to get some information from the state to find out what impacts um, those projects may have based on that funding. There's a lot we don't know yet, but this is why it's important to pay attention to what's happening in local and state government. We don't know the future, but we can chart a course by being informed. The city's pool of money for nonprofits is now known as the Vibrant Community Fund. The city pulled out of a joint process with Albemarle County last year. Most nonprofits that had been slated to receive funding in fiscal year 21 will now have to justify their funding again under new rules. One thing that we wanted to do was basically talk about what we're going to try to do in terms of uh, making sure that uh, agencies uh, who are receiving funding from the city, uh, that you know, in those agreements uh, that we do, have the right to withhold or adjust uh, monthly in their quarterly payments uh, due to them having ceased operations or reduction services uh, to our uh, residents. At first glance, it appeared as if all of the nonprofits had not received funding for next year. However, there is a $2.1 million fund of unallocated funding that will be distributed during the work session process. City Councilor Heather Hill explains. I've acknowledged to several people I've responded to today the little confusion that we didn't zero out that funding for all nonprofits. It's just that we're putting it in a holding place while we assess um, where those dollars are gonna be most effectively spent in the short term. A lot of Charlottesville's economy and Albemarle County's economy depends on whether the University of Virginia holds classes this fall. That's a big uncertainty that has to be factored into revenue forecasts for next year and uncertainty about when the peak of COVID-19 cases will hit. One of those things that the students do return uh, to the university, or if they don't return, look at the overall financial impact that it'll have uh, on the uh, community, as well as uh, look at you know the, uh, the peak uh, that was um, provided to us in terms of uh, you know, the, the UW uh, peak model, uh, which was in April, uh, which we were reached, or the other mo- other models uh, that said we would reach in uh, June or which the governor has stated that will reach in August. Um, so, you know, we're trying to plan uh, out our budget so that, you know, whenever we reach whatever time frame, uh, that we can also give uh, council, you know, those updates. Dr. Richardson said budget staff will continue to review revenues every week and provide council with monthly updates on where things stand. There will be a work session on Charlottesville's new budget on Tuesday, April 28th at 3 p.m. The public hearing will be held on May 18th, and there will be more information about a lot of those things by then. At the moment, it's prudent to just continue to take things slowly. We don't have to know everything yet. Council will adopt the budget on June 1st. Meanwhile, in Albemarle, supervisors were presented with more information about how that county will cut its spending to adjust to the reduced economic situation. County Executive Jeffrey Richardson had stated he would need to cut several million dollars from the existing year's budget in order to prepare a new budget for next year. I'm pleased today to state that we do have a rebalanced, revised recommended budget for your consideration. Richardson first gave some context. 63 days ago, our team presented the fiscal year 21 recommended budget on February the 19th. Uh, For me personally, it feels like that it's been much longer than 63 days ago. In fact, I I don't remember very much of what happened during that time frame. Uh, To be quite honest, uh, things have 
uh, evolved in an interesting and eventful way since that time. But our team did present the fiscal year 21 recommended budget entitled Expanded Opportunity, and it featured cornerstone connections to significant capital investment in key community infrastructure areas. The new budget draft has the title Respond, Recover, Recalibrate. It reflects significant downturns in current revenues and is based on the anticipation of continued slowdowns in revenue, at least through the first half of fiscal year 21. Much has happened over the last 63 days. I don't need to go into the details of what's happened to this community and what's happened to each of us because everyone's got a story to tell. The the further we go with this, the more we're going to learn and the more we're going to know. Several people emphasized to me that, Jeff, by June to July, we're going to know much more than we know now. And we've got a deadline to pass the budget, and we're going to do that by May. But we've, I think, with our strategy of looking at next year in two six-month increments, I believe we position ourselves to remain flexible and adaptable. Albemarle County Executive Richardson said items that have been cut can be added back if the economy recovers this fall. If the economy worsens, further reductions can be made. A work session on Albemarle's budget will be held virtually on April 29th at 3.30 p.m. Their public hearing will be held on May 6th. Educate yourself and look at the revised budget in the show notes. Now, we don't have time in this podcast to get into all of the details about service and capital cuts. But one thing is for sure, Albemarle County will not open up beaches at county parks this year to save money and not hiring lifeguards. It just is not worth the expense, the resource, and the effort to roll this out or to plan to roll this out this summer as business as usual. What I would emphasize to this board and to the general public is that our parks this summer will remain open. The staff has worked diligently with this board's support to continue to operate and open our parks as a recreational outlet, as an exercise outlet for the citizens in Albemarle County, and we will continue to do this. These are the programs, however, that uh, come online each summer through our parks and recreation, full-time and temporary staff. And, And in our budget, we are recommending that these programs be eliminated for this coming year. While some things in our community are going dormant, other things are merging into life. This week, three organizations related to healthy food announced that they would merge into a new group called Cultivate Charlottesville. The announcement was made on Instagram Live. Here's Aline Carey of the group. We had hoped to be here at Jackson Via Elementary School with all of you in person, but of course, things have changed this spring, so we're still here at Jackson. Via and Jeanette Abinader, our executive director, and I are going to practice safe social distancing while we welcome you to our new organization and tell you a little bit about what's going on. Good morning, everybody. I'm Jeanette Abinader with Cultivate Charlottesville, and many of you are our partners and know about the work that we do and work together with us. But we wanted to welcome you in this way just to celebrate a little bit on this beautiful Earth Day, this beautiful spring day what's happening with our organization. Cultivate Charlottesville is an integrated approach to build a healthy and just food system. One of our goals is to do that across different sectors, so personally, in community, and through systems and structural changes. And so the programs that you all know, City Schoolyard Garden, works with individual youth in gardens through the school system, 
and with Charlottesville City Schools. We're here at the Jackson Via Garden, which is beautiful, by the way. Um, the Urban Agriculture Collective works in community, in public and subsidized housing sites to grow food and share food together. And this was started 13 years ago by Karen Waters and community members who really wanted to see gardens in their, in their neighborhoods, in their homes. And um, Richard Morris is our program director there, and he, with his team, is growing food to share at community markets. And then we have the Food Justice Network. Chantel Bingham is our program director there, and the Food Justice Network is a collection of over 35 organizations, many of you who are joining us today, that works to advocate and ignite dialogue around food equity. We want to be a city that's not only a foodie city, but that is a food equity city for all. Overall, our purpose is that we believe that growing gardens, sharing food and power, and advocating for just food systems creates a healthy community for all. And we're happy that you're joining us. You can find a link to Cultivate Charlottesville in the show notes. And that's it for another installment of the Charlottesville Quarantine Report. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back over the weekend with another installment. If you're in the Charlottesville area, you can hear a broadcast version of this show on 94.7 FM WPVC on Sunday mornings at 10. That's also at WPVC.net. I'm Sean Tubbs, and thank you for listening.